0: we have finally arrived at the final week of the first corinthian series as mentioned earlier and i hope that you have learned much from this book series which we have taken 12 weeks to cover tell neighbors right now 12 weeks and and i know some of you are saying wow oh, pastor is very long yes i know that and the reason for for the length and the duration is because our approach is to use our preaching series to disciple the church in god's word since not every one of you has the time to attend four to eight weeks of bible classes on top of the weekend services and your grace group isn't it so we want to use platform like this to disciple you we want to you we want you to grow in your mastery of god's word through these longer series now for those of you who want more engagement on the topics that we preach you need to be part of our grace groups to have deeper application discussion, all right? So if you are not in our grace group, please, I highly encourage you to be part of one. Talk to our pastors, write to us, and we will connect you to one of our grace groups. Now today, I want to round up the teaching series on First Corinthians with the topic on love now and forever. Love now and forever, and the big idea for today is God desires His family to exercise love in everything. Say with me, everything. And I'll be covering First Corinthians thirteen, which we have reserved specially for the last instalment of the series. You must understand that 1 Corinthians has 16 chapters. We have covered uh, last week, chapter 15. And right now, we are, we are closing chapter 16 by visiting chapter 13, all right? So to understand why we have kept it to the last, we must read the last chapter of 1 Corinthians, found in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 14. It says this, that let all that you do be done in love. Let everything be done in love. This one verse summarizes everything that Paul was trying to disciple the church in Corinth through his letter. And to fully understand this important summary verse, we need to deep dive into the chapter famously known as a chapter of love in 1 Corinthians 13. And allow me right now to jump to 1 Corinthians 13. And I will begin from the last verse of chapter 12 before going to chapter 13, verse 1. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31, it says this, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And we explained this before, the meaning of higher gifts, right? It's a gift that built the body. And I'll show you a still more excellent way. Chapter 12 ended up with Paul, Apostle Paul, stating that he would show the church a more excellent way of building up the church. And this excellent way is the way of love. Say with me right now, the way of love. Say with me, love. And with that, let me go into First Corinthians 13, chapter, uh, chapter 13, verse 1 now. It says this, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith and as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, If I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So in verses 1 to 3, Paul repeatedly used the term have not love. Essentially, it means acting in a way that is not loving. Acting in a way that is not loving. And let's look at how believers acted in a way that was not loving in Paul's time. In verse 1, Paul wrote that when one spoke in tongues, one could be speaking in tongues of men or tongues of angels. Now, in other words, for those of you who speak in tongues, I look at all of you right now, for those who speak in tongues, your spoken tongues could be a human language or a dialect of angels. And this possibility of speaking in angelic languages caused the Corinthian believers to overemphasize the verbal gift of speaking in tongues. And we learned that, right, in, in earlier chapters. And we learned how they had made their corporate gathering like a chaotic fish market where they tried to show off their spirituality by speaking in tongues without orderliness. And we learned that in, in chapter 12 and 14. And their, and their faulty understanding of spirituality led them to place this verbal gift of speaking in tongues above other gifts. And their lack of love for each other led Paul to use the term a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal to describe their immature behaviors. So in verse 2, Paul reinforced the importance of love when operating in the spiritual gifts of prophetic revelation, word of knowledge, or having faith in miracles. And Paul emphasized the need for love because the Corinthian believers had failed to express love when there were, number one, factions among them in preferring one leader over another. We learned that in chapters 1 to 3. There there was also biased attitude against Paul's leadership, chapter 4. And not forgetting sexual immorality in chapter 5. And there there were also lawsuits among believers in chapter 6. And not forgetting stumbling of others in their faith in chapter 8 to 10. And of course, we learn the abuse of the poor at the communion table in chapter 11. Now, if you remember, we have touched on all these issues throughout the, 11, the last 11 weeks of the series. And in verse 3, Paul went as far as to say that the sacrifice of one's body would also mean nothing if the sacrifice was made without love. Now, since love was so important to Paul, let's examine right now how Paul defined love. And this is found in the next verse, in verse 4. Let me read to you right now. In verse 4, it says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And he says here, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Now, these four verses are often used in wedding exhortations for newly married couples, right? you hear this a lot during marriage ceremony however the context of these verses here is not directed at wedding couples right it's not it was actually written to all believers in the corinthian church of course we know that the principle of love is the same in any setting whether it is in the faith community like this in our family or in a marriage to paul love was not a theory, but love to him was an action that must be lived out in a faith community. And if they were to be Christ's images in the city of Corinth, the believers must reflect who Christ was through how they behave towards each other. And that's why Paul used four verses to describe love in action. Remember, it's love in action. It's not love in theory, but love in action. And now let's look at a few of them right now and examine the possible reason for mentioning these love actions. Look at verse 4 right now. Paul says, Love is patient and kind. Now remember the context in chapter 11 where some believers did not show patience and kindness at the communion table, if you recall. The rich had private meals without waiting and providing for the rest, especially the poor. And their actions at the communion table were not of love. But today, of course, we know that we don't have this issue as we are not a house church where we have communion in someone's home. And furthermore, we provide communion emblems, isn't it? Where you don't need to bring wine or bread. So the question I have for all of us is this, how do we ensure that we are patient and kind towards each other? How? How do we express patience and kindness to one another? Well, let me give you an example right now. Now, a few years ago, during the pandemic, I observed a sister, a sister who would weekly take care of an elderly lady coming with her to church services and ensuring that this elderly lady would reach home safely after our Sunday service. And I was very moved when I found out that this sister was not related to this elderly lady at all. Initially, I thought that they were probably like maybe daughter and, and uh uh, maybe maybe their daughters uh, and mother, or, or is it or maybe even sisters, because they, they, they look like related in, in one way or another. And I found out that this sister was not related at all to this elderly lady. And they got to know each other through the alpha program. And ever since Alpha, this sister, this gracious sister, would patiently take care of this elderly lady weekly. Why? Because this elderly lady got saved and had walking issues, and yet wanted to come to church every weekend. Though not related, this sister would express kindness in taking care of this new believer's spiritual and physical needs. I was very moved because I witnessed this story. It's, to me, it's a love in action. Not just one time, two times. It's every week. If you remember during the pandemic time we have to go through this gantry to check our trace together right when it come to church i stood there for months and i will see this same sister waiting for this elderly lady until one day i walk over and ask her how are you guys related and this sister told me we're not related pastor we're just friends and i just got to know her a few months ago and that was when i was so moved so moved to see the commitment to love another fellow believer who is in need. And church, I pray that we will be such a community of love to look out for each other and express love and patience for those in need. Can somebody say amen? Can somebody say amen? Amen. And in verse 4, Paul also mentioned this. He said that love does not envy or boast. Now, the context here could be from chapter 12 where believers boasted about having the verbal gift of speaking in tongues and and, and they competed with each other uh, for attention with this gift, isn't it? And their boasting of higher spirituality was not an act of love in the community and we learned that. Instead, their boasting and envy showed how immature they were towards each other so the question to all of us is this if you look at this verse right now how do we ensure that we do not boast or envy one another how in those days they they use spiritual gifts to boast with to each other about a spirituality but what about today well one area that we may not even realize that we are boasting is through our social media i know you guys want to storm me right but don't stole me first Let me share with you a a real-life story among my friends, all right? I had had a friend who would frequently post pictures of himself at places that the the privileged few would have access to. He would often post himself at, at very, very important seats of some famous UK football club stadium. He would go there, especially those important matches, right? He would take a picture and post it real life and sometimes he'll post himself, and, and, and you know that those seats are special seats, right? Very, very important people can afford or can, can go into those special seats. He'll take pictures with, sometimes with the coaches, with some of these star players of, this, of uh, some of those uh, football club that has both the devil and the saints together. And he will also post pictures of being with famous international celebrities and, and politicians, And when you look at all his social media posts, right, you will notice that he never posts anybody else except with all these famous people. You will never see his family, you don't see his wife, you don't see his kids, nobody except all these famous celebrities. And social psychology will tell you that basically he was boasting of his connections and ability to enjoy all these special privileges. And in boasting about the privileged position, he caused many other friends in the network to be envious and dislike him how do i know because every time when we go out for our, our, our class gathering right well you you can you can hear not just rumors but open unhappiness about this friend of ours and so i learned through through this unfortunate encounter among my friends about this boasting and envy because this friend of mine in boasting about his privileged position he caused many of my other friends to be very envious, and, and he began to dislike him. And at some point, we went to step in and say, hey, cool it, guys, cool it. it it's just him, it's just him. It's okay, just cool it, right? And he, I, I was so surprised to see the, the kind of reaction against him. So I learned from this episode encounter, right, that a person who loves to boast is most likely very insecure because the boasting allows him to tell the whole world how good or how rich he is. And the end outcome is to boost his own self-worth, isn't it? But church, I want to submit to you that the reverse is also true. A person who envies others also have a self-worth issue, isn't it? Because out of lack and personal insecurity, one would envy others instead of staying contented. The person who boasts and the one who envies both have self-worth issues that require our Lord Jesus to bring healing into their lives. And church, as a faith community, let's not major in our insecurity, but rather let's have love in action among us instead. Let's restrain from boasting and envying each other. For those of us who have the resources Let's use them to bless and help others, amen? And for those of us who don't have many resources, let's learn to be content with what we have. So tell neighbor on your left and right, tell neighbor right now, accept one another. That's what we need, to accept each other and to live without being envious, without boasting of what we have. Let me move on right now to the next one where Paul says this. It is not arrogant, in verse 5, or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Now, the word rude here can be translated as behave shamefully or to behave disgracefully. It is about behaving shamefully and yet insisting on one's rights, causing much grief and pain in the community. Now, how many of you have seen people like that around you? How many of you? Who, are, who just insist their own ways, and yet you know that shamefully and disgracefully they are wrong. Of course, the opposite of rude behavior is to show respect and honor to each other in the faith community without seeking one's rights all the time. And Paul continues in verse 5. Paul says this, It is not irritable or resentful. Now, love is not irritable or resentful, which means that it is not easily angered. It will not keep a record of wrongs. That's what it means. Because when you're irritable and resentful, you are easily angered and you will remember every bad thing that's been done against you. And you must understand that such a person who is not irritable, who is not resentful, that person lives in forgiveness and does not hold a grudge Against another person. And if you see someone constantly irritable and upset with many things around him, you will see a person carrying a lot of emotional wounds and baggage of the past. Let me say one more time. You look around you, if you see friends, people, it can even be family members who are constantly irritable and upset over many, many things. maybe can be little, little things and trigger the person. You will likely see a person carrying a lot of emotional wounds and baggage of the past. Issues would easily trigger him because of wounds in, it, in his life, in his emotion that causes him to be constantly irritated and angry. And after a while, people will avoid this person because he or she is, is like a walking time bomb waiting for the next trigger to explode. And church, as I speak right now, the Lord may be showing you areas and baggage in your life that cause you to be irritable and resentful. And yet at the same time, as you hear what I share with you right now, you want to live out love as commanded in God's word. And I want you to know that one of the ways to deal with past emotional wounding and baggage is to allow someone someone to come into your life to walk and to pray with you over these issues. And I highly, highly recommend our wholeness ministry where you can unpack past issues safely with trained workers. And if you're looking for a ministry like this, I want you to know that the next wholeness ministry will be in March 2023. And the sign-up will be in December next month. Now, do look out for it while the rest of us We do our best to be kind and patient with you in your irritable state. Can somebody say amen? So let's look at one more definition right now uh, of love in verse 6. In verse 6, it says this. Verse 6, Paul says this. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Now, one Bible version even translates this verse as love does not delight in evil love does not delight in evil now this verse contrasted wrongdoing evil with truth on one side is truth on the other side is wrongdoing and evil and the possible context here could be paul reminding the church about a man sleeping with his stepmother in chapter 5. instead of disciplining this brother some in the church were proud of their force, spirituality, and freedom. And Paul then instructed the church to discipline this brother with restoration as the outcome. Now, in our context today, how do we ensure that we do not rejoice at wrongdoing, but instead we rejoice with the truth? And I want to pose a question to all of us today. How do we differentiate evil from the truth? how you know if you look at the many examples in the Corinthian church that we have been through the last 11 weeks we can see that many of the wrongdoings were committed because of their wrong understanding of god who god was and he took paul who was authoritative in god's word to refute the wrongdoings and to correct them with the truth and i pray I pray that God will use every spiritual leader among us, here, seated right here, right now. I pray that God will use spiritual leaders to be the source of authority in God's word and to bring truth to our grace groups, to the various ministries that we have in the next gen ministry. I pray that God will use you. God will use you to refute wrongdoings, refute evil, and bring truth in your situation. And especially when you hear of situation, hear of experiences that, that you know in your spirit is wrong, it's evil, that God will use you. God will use you as His voice to bring up a correction. You see, the bottom, li- the bottom line is that we need to know God's truth before we can refute and correct wrongdoings and evil with God's authority. And that's why we, have, we take so much time through our public ministry and our Bible classes to teach God's Word systematically. And I know that some of you are saying, oh, Pastor, our series are very long. Yes, I know that. It is long because we need to be systematic about it. We want to systematically help you understand exactly what God's Word is so that when the wrongdoings appear, when evil surfaces, you can still away sense in your heart and know from God's Word that this is not good. And as you're a disciple by God's Word weekly here, you will grow deeper in your understanding of God's truth, enabling you to discern what is evil and what is truth. And church, I want you to know it will take time, it will take effort, it will take commitment to immerse and grow in God's Word. And as a church, as a ministry, we're here to journey with you and be a resource for your spiritual growth and discipleship. So tell neighbor one more time on your left and right, tell them, Rejoice with the truth. In verse 7, Paul then concluded the definition of love. Paul says this, Love bears all things. Believe all things. Hope all things and endures all things. Now to understand this verse, this last verse for the definition of love in verse 7, we must appreciate how ancient writers would write to reinforce the same concept. Now in verse 7, if you look at it right now, there are four descriptions of love. The first and the fourth descriptions are to be paired together. And the second and the third descriptions are to be placed together. It, it will look something like this on the screen. I have placed them as A1 and A2 and B1 and B2 to show, that, to show you the pairing. You see, ancient writers, they did this to reinforce a concept. If you look at the screen right now, A1 and A2 reinforce one concept, and B1 and B2 reinforce another concept. So, A1 and A2 tells us that we can bear and endure all relational challenges in the community through our love for each other. Tell a neighbor right now, I can tahan you. Right? If you don't know what "tahan-tahan" means, is tahan, tahan means I can endure you. There's a meaning in in A one and A two, right? I can bear all things, I can endure all things. That means I can tahan you. Now B one and B two tells us that we can hope and believe in all things in the future, not now. In the future, because of Jesus Christ, it is it is a belief and a hope of all things not in human, but in what Christ will do in His second coming. No matter how bad the situation is today and how evil the world has become, we have the hope in Christ that He is in absolute control. Can somebody say amen? So with this, let me lead all of us together right now to read this important passage on the definition of love in action for our community. At a count of three, Let's read verse four to seven together right now. One, two, three. Love is. Love does not, or boast. It is not, or rude. It does not insist. It is not irritable. It does not. Love, all things. Believe all things. Hopes all things. Endure all things. So, with the character of love explained right now, let's move to the last segment of chapter 13. Chapter 13, verse 8 to 13, it says this Love never fails or never ends. Love never ends. As for prophecy, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. even as I have been fully known. Verses 8 to 10 tell us that spiritual gifts will eventually cease when Christ, the perfect one, returns. Yes, spiritual gifts will not be needed when we see Christ face to face again. So Paul's point here is that no matter how powerful spiritual gifts are, they will cease when we are with Christ. Either we return to Christ, when we are promoted to glory, or we may see Christ in the second coming. So until then, we still need spiritual gifts to operate in the body, to exhort, to edify, and to comfort the body. However, there's something else that that will last beyond Christ's return. It says in verse 13, so now faith, hope, and love abide. These three... But the greatest of this is, is what? The greatest of this is love. Now, how many of you have ever wondered about this verse? What does this verse really mean? You see, Paul introduced two more attributes of faith and hope together with love. And why is love greater than faith and hope? And allow me to unpack and explain this right now. Now, remember that the context in the passage is about the return of Jesus Christ. So Paul used a triad of faith, hope, and love to show their importance in the current age, in the present age right now. So to be a Christian, one needs to exercise faith, right? That's why faith is important. You must exercise faith to receive forgiveness and to accept Jesus Christ into your life. That's faith. And after you become a a child of God, after you have exercised faith to accept Jesus into your life, you need to carry hope, the hope of eternal life to be with Christ forever. So both faith and hope are what we are, exercise, what we are doing and exercising right now in the current, in the present age. But church, you must understand that there is no need for faith and hope when we see Christ face to face again. There's no more. There's no need for faith and hope because you're with Christ. You're living with Him. He's He's with you. There's no need for faith and hope anymore. But you must understand that love continues from this present age to the coming age of Christ. Love is the greatest because it is needed right now in the current age, and it will be experienced in the coming age. Can somebody say amen? And that's why he says very clearly, love continues from this age into the next. And that's why love is eternal. That's why the Bible says, love never ends. Can somebody say amen? And let me summarize right now all that we have learned from the letter of First Corinthians. If you look at the entire book of First Corinthians and how we have reached this point with the emphasis of love, you will see the firstly you can see very clearly that we can see very evidently that the body of christ is not perfect if you were to summarize all the 16 chapters together you will see this very obviously the church the body of christ is not perfect the body is not perfect because it is made of imperfect members can all the imperfect members of grace assembly please raise your hands Hallelujah. About 90% of you. And church, you and I know, right, the church was perfect. The church was perfect until you and me came along. And Apostle Paul had to address immature behaviors, correct wrong doctrines, and rebuke sinful lifestyle in the Corinthian church. And all these were part of the discipleship process to help believers to become more like Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that please be mentally prepared that as we live in an increasingly complex and liberal world, we will have to address immature behaviors. We have to correct wrong teachings and even rebuke sinful lifestyle that go against God's word. So tell neighbor one more time, tell neighbor, we are not perfect because of you. Right? We are not perfect because of each other. The second summary point that I can bring across is this, that if you look at 1 Corinthians 1 to 16, you realize that we must grow in character and charismata. Character and charismata. Now, what is charismata? Charismata means grace gift. The gifts of the Holy Spirit is a grace gift. The Corinthian church, they were blessed with spiritual gifts, the charismata. And yet the members, they lack character. And it shows us that the gifts of the Spirit are solely based on God's grace and not on one's character and maturity. And one can operate in all the gifts of the Spirit and yet have character flaws. And that's why spiritual gifts are called grace gifts because they are given to us solely based on God's grace. And we don't need to earn these gifts. You don't need to be super mature to have this gift, no but God freely gives, to them, gives them to us, gives to whoever earnestly seeks for the, the, the spiritual gifts, the charismatic. God does not wait for one to become perfect before giving spiritual gifts. So do not be surprised to hear of ministers who move powerfully in signs and wonders and yet fail to have character issues in their lives. We have seen many well-known ministers who have fallen in grace in the last few years, Their stories tell us that God uses imperfect vessels to build and to edify the body. So tell a neighbor on your left and right one more time, God uses imperfect people. And because of our imperfection, church, we must exercise love for each other. Love enables us to endure and to bear all things. And in the process of enduring and bearing all the shortfalls and weakness, of each other, we grow in our character. And that's why love is so powerful. Love deepens our character and strengthens our spiritual gifts to serve each other better. And in closing, let me revisit Paul's exhortation to the church in the last chapter of 1 Corinthians 16:14, where Paul says this, let all that you do be done in love. Let everything that we do be done in love. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for showing us the importance of love from the letter of 1 Corinthians. And may Grace Assembly be a community where we will grow in character and charismata to be more like Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I believe that the Lord has spoken to some of us here to grow not just in the charismata, in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But I believe God is also calling you to grow in both, both the gifts and also in character. God wants us to grow in the two seas, the charismata and the character so that we can reflect the third sea, Christ, in our life. And if you know that God wants you to grow in both the charismata and, the, and your character, We're all over this place right now. If you know God is speaking to you, not just to grow in spiritual gifts, but also in character, I want you to lift your hands all over this place. Say, God, and the Lord is speaking to you to grow in your character as well. If that's you, lift your hand all over this place right now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's right. Lift your hands to the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. You say, God, I hear your word today that I need to grow in my character as well. Not just to grow in the gifts of the Spirit, but also grow in areas that you're forming me. If as you, lift your hands all over this place. That's why I thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The next call is for those of us who want to see love in action in your community. I believe that God is speaking to some of you here to build love in your family. Because it's not a love in theory. It's not, it's not something good to have, but it's love in action. It's a must-have. A love that allows you to bear and endure all things, no matter how difficult it may be because of God's word, because of your love for your family. And you want this love in action to be deeply rooted in your family. If that's your desire, I want you to lift your hands all over this place right now. You say, God, that's my cry and my desire for my family. If that's lift your hands all over this place right now. That's why I thank you, thank you, thank you. I could sense that God is speaking to some of you about your family, about about your role in your family. And God wants you to be the one to bring love in action to your family. If that's you, lift your hands all over this place right now. That's why I thank you. I see the hand, thank you. That's why I allow the Lord to speak to you. Now, another community that requires love in action is our Grace Group and our ministry. And that's the place where the love of Christ is needed because of human imperfection, isn't it? And I know I'm I'm speaking right now to to leaders and the members of Grace Group among us. And if it's your desire, you say, God, use me to build a faith community that's truly a place of love in action. Lord, use me to build that right now for your people. If that's you, lift your hand as well. Say, God, use me. Thank you. Thank you. That's why God will use imperfect vessels like us to build for him a community who will love and model His love to each other. If as you lift your hands quickly all over this place right now. And so I thank you. Would you stand with me all over this place right now? Would you please stand? And I want to end the time to pray for different ones of you. But more important, let's pray together as a community, shall we? And I believe that God is speaking to different ones of you here right now. And, and I sense that some of you here, the Lord is speaking to to build love in your family. But He said, Pastor, I, I, I'm just one of the family members. But I want you to know it starts with you. You can be the breakthrough. It will be through you that God will use to bring love to your family. And for some of you, God is speaking to you to build character. To have the character to stand strong in your life. And I want to open the altars right now. If you need prayer, I want you to come right now. To come for prayer. For those of you who need prayer, as the team leads us right now. Hallelujah. If you need prayer, you come right now, because we want to pray with you. You need prayer, you come quickly. The team, the pastors, the leaders, we're going to pray for you. And pray for breakthrough in your life to come. If you need breakthrough, you come. If you need breakthrough in your family, breakthrough in relationship, you come quickly. Thank you, Lord.
1: Cheers.